Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, showcasing Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Nicholas Lalo, and this week we have Rene Rivera, the executive director of Bike East Bay, a bicycling advocacy organization. Hi, Renee. Thanks for coming on to the show today. Um, I really appreciate it. And do you mind if I ask you how you arrived here? Yeah. Um, thanks, Nick, for having me on. And I got here by Barton Bike, which is one of my favorite ways to get around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, can you take us through the history of bicycling advocacy? Um, actually, we'll go back to the early days of bicycle advocacy in um, in the U.S. There was a very organized group that's still around called the League of American Bicyclists. And in the um, late 1800s, they were actually the ones who advocated for paved roads. Cars benefited, but it was actually the bicycle movement that brought us paved roads, smooth paved roads to ride on. Um, so bicycle advocacy has a long and storied history here in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, what I had associated it with, but maybe because I'm a millennial, <laughs> is um, maybe I thought the furthest back it went was critical mass. Right. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know. That's kind of like the was the second golden age of bicycle advocacy. But just to note, the first golden age was in the 18, late 1800s. And then around um, in the mid-70s, actually, along with Earth Day, was when bicycle advocacy started to kind of get a resurgence. And there were a lot of people who biked across the country for the centennial. They called it the bike centennial. <laughs> and then there was, you know... Um, Breaking Away and other popular media that popularized bicycling. And so in the 70s, there was this big resurgence. And that was when Bike East Bay, then named East Bay Bicycle Coalition, got its start actually in 1972 when uh, BART opened because at that time BART did not allow bicycles at all. So that was kind of the instigation for some folks here in the East Bay to organize. And at the same time, San Francisco, the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition got started. Though the interesting thing is East Bay Bicycle Coalition is the, we're the longest continuously operating bicycle advocacy group in the Bay Area. So the SFBC got started at the same time, and then they went defunct in the 80s. Though we actually had a continuously operating um, organization. And then in the 90s, with the start of critical mass in the mid-90s, that was a time when a lot of people got involved. And that's, in fact, when I got involved with bicycle advocacy in 1996. Oh, yeah. So why did you get involved? What about... Um was it something about critical mass, or I read that you were part of the SFB uh, Bike Coalition? Yeah, I did get involved with the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition in 96, and a lot of it was because I biked to work every day, and in those days there weren't that many of us. Um, and I was I was living um, in downtown San Francisco and working out in the Presidio in the, at the Exploratorium, and so I would ride out Polk Street every day, and it was horrible, like literally every day. I felt like my life was being threatened. You know, yeah. people were honking at me, um, you know, trying to run me off the road, yelling from their cars. Mm. One night, my girlfriend was riding home from work on Polk Street, and someone brandished an axe at her out of their car. <laughs> like, wow. it was really a hostile environment. Yeah. 
And um, I learned about the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, started going and volunteering, and then I pretty quickly got involved with a campaign to get bike lanes on Polk Street. Mm. It took us five years. It Mm. was a long campaign, but at the end of it, they removed a lane of of travel, car lane from Polk Street, put in bike lanes for part of the way, and um, Sharrows, if you're familiar with those, the rest Mm. of the way. You know, it's not a perfect project, but my life was so substantially improved. And maybe lengthened. <laughs> Certainly my stress levels went so far down because I could mm. ride to work and I was, you know, mm. like not yelled at. And yeah. I had a much more relaxing daily mm. commute. And I was like, wow, I, you know, this is maybe the thing in my life I've done that's had the most impact on my quality of life and probably other people's quality of life. So I was really hooked at that point by what you can do to actually change change the streets Yeah, for the better. Yeah, that's a really interesting story because, um, and not, I guess not to get into the psychology of it too much, but you were mainly talking about how drivers were yelling at you or brandishing axes, <laughs> um, but that adding in bicycling infrastructure, did that change um, the interactions with the drivers as well because you ostensibly took away a lane from them. Right. Absolutely. And it changed because now there was space. Mm-hmm. Um, there was still some shared space, but there was, you know, some separated space for the bike lanes and there was just more room for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole environment became more civil and, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of worry from drivers. We actually went me and some other folks on the campaign talked to every single business on Polk Street from end to end, many of them several times. And um, they were like, this is going to be, some of them, some of them were like, great. And then some of them were like, this is going to be terrible. People aren't going to be able to come to our businesses. Polk Street's going to be backed up all the time. Mm. And then after the you know, initially went in as a trial, a six-month trial, which is something we do a lot in bicycle advocacy. We say, let's try it for six months. And I will say in the Bay Area, I should knock on wood, um, there, those trials haven't come out. Mm-hmm. There are places in other, you know, other places where it has, but pretty much. So we came back in six months, talked to those same businesses, and said, well, what do you think? And they're like, oh, uh, did it used to be different? They were like, oh, no, it used to, it's always been this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There had no perception of actually there being a change. Mm. Yeah, so it was um that's similar to I guess the bikes on Bart um recent pilot that they, a few years ago mm-hmm. I think you know, Bike East Bay was had a hand in or um yeah, I guess other infrastructure that you put in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean bikes on Bart again there was a lot of concern but a lot of good support. Mm-hmm. We did a pilot um now I can't even remember how it was maybe going to be nine months or something. And then once it happened, it was like, oh, well, this is just the way the world works. And and people are, again, it's like bringing civility, like I saw on Polk Street, making making that space for bikes on the street brought civility to the whole street. And on Mm -hmm. BART, I see that too. Like, I just see with what, you know, kind of accommodation and civility people you know, how they treat each other on mm. BART, whether you bring a bike or not, 
Like there's the bike space on the car. I come onto the car. Someone just sees that. They move out of the way. Mm. There's just this real that having that designated space just allows for a level of, um, you know, kindness and civility (laughs) in our you know, yeah. Once you design it into the space, um, people begin to respect that as a as an integral part of that space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so you talked about the first generation in the late eighteen hundreds, right? And you talked about the second generation around Earth Day in the seventies. Are we in a third generation or? Not yet. I would say like we're at a fourth generation oh, because the nineties were such a time, at mm-hmm. least here in the Bay Area, where there was this, this incredible revitalization of bicycle advocacy and mm-hmm. critical mass played you mentioned that already, played a real yeah. role in getting people organized and mm-hmm. I mostly can speak for San Francisco because that's where I was then and yeah. you know, people People were coming together in community around critical mass and just having that experience of when you were in critical mass, it was the whole street was bikes, you know, and we were like, oh, this is it created this kind of utopian vision of Mm -hmm. what it could be like that was very motivating of political activism. And then the city pushed back a little bit, you know, and Willie Brown said, oh, how many people, you know, there was this one moment when he was out like talking to a critical mass group right uh, around the time when things were getting contentious and he said kind of an aside how many people here do you think really vote maybe two and then that really like that remark like instigated bicyclists again to get organized and particularly around electoral politics, Mm. which many of us are involved in now and really like saying, oh, there is a bike vote here and we really have power. Mm -hmm. And that's like almost the beginning of what people now call the all-powerful bike lobby. Oh, really? At least in San Francisco and a few other places where there is just this recognition that Mm. we're a very organized group that has, uh, you know, has a place at the table and is really a group with some political clout. Yeah. um, It seems like every electoral cycle, there's a new measure, like Measure BB or Measure XX. um, Yeah, exactly. That the bicycling lobby is really pushing for. Right. And also um, your work on Fulton Street in downtown Berkeley Mm -hmm. um, was all the uh, bike coalition or bicycling advocacy group. Yeah. So that was that was a really for us, that was also a really powerful um, moment in terms of kind of one of the big barriers is just how slow change happens in cities, mm-hmm. right? And just to briefly tell the story on Fulton Street, um, one of our members, Meg Schwartzman, was, uh, who uh, is a researcher here on the campus at Cal, was riding home on Fulton Street at the end of the day and um, was hit Although she was very visible, bright green jacket, helmet, like doing all the right things. You know, her life was saved by the the fire crew who came in and got her incredibly quickly to the trauma unit at Highland. And um, just a miracle, kind of a miracle. Like really, she, we were very lucky that she survived. And it was a very galvanizing moment because, uh, but Bike East Bay has been working on this particular gap in the bike network for 
15 years. And we'd been asking, and we had even as recently as a year before when that street was being repaved, we brought it up again. We said, hey, this is on the part of the bike plan. Are you putting the bike lanes in when you repave? And they were like, oh, we need to take, we need to study it some more, you know, which is often the answer. And um, so then again, it kind of got dropped. And so we brought all of that immediately in a letter to the city manager saying, here's the whole history. Here is this tragic, you know, at that point, we didn't even know if Meg was going to survive. The, you know, we are calling on the city to act. And we asked, that was in February, and we said, we are asking you to put a bike lane on this street by Bike to Work Day. So we were giving them three months. I don't know that the city of Berkeley has ever done anything in three months, but they yeah. did it. Yeah, it was right. And it was, it was completed Wednesday night before Bike to Work Day on a Thursday morning. Mm. But they did it, and it's a very well-designed project. It's Right now it's the example we point to for protected bikeways in the East, East Bay. It's just a few blocks, but it's it's really like a perfectly designed project, perfectly executed, and they did it in three months, which is showing what's possible. Yeah. You know, we don't want every project to have to have be pushed by a tragedy, but mm-hmm. we, I think, can get much quicker response. And right now, the projects that Berkeley is roll- going to be rolling out in the next year are going to be excellent projects. We have about 10 projects in the pipeline right now that we're expecting to see on the mm-hmm. ground in the next year. And so Berkeley's put put out a like comprehensive master plan, which yeah. um, your organization has called one of the most progressive in the country. Um, wonder if you could try to describe what that what a, what the best bikeway looks like yeah. We'll see if it works. Right. I think, you know, what I would say is more, you know, it's easier to describe the experience of being on a protected bikeway, yeah. you know, in one thing that was a real turning point for me was when the green lanes went in on Market Street in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was someone who rode Market Street almost every day, and it was always a white knuckle experience. And then they put these green lanes in with some posts really to keep keep make that separated space for bikes that's just very clear to everyone. This is bike space. And my experience riding that for the first time was like this, ah, like I felt like, oh, I'm on Market Street, but I can relax a little bit. I feel like my my nervous system is like it's ramping down, you know, it's just this very different visceral experience of, um, you know, of just maybe like you don't almost realize how tense you were until all of a sudden you get in that space and you're like, oh, I'm relaxing. And mm-hmm. for me, the bike, uh, the protected bike lanes on Telegraph, mm-hmm. um, again, it's that same kind of experience where mm-hmm. you're like, all of a sudden you're, you've got, you're by the curb, the parked cars are out to the right, uh, I'm sorry, to the left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're in your own space and you're not like, oh, am I going to have to watch out for a car door or, you know, and there's still a few design issues to work out on Telegraph. So there are, I do recognize particularly at intersections, that design is not, it is, uh, you do have to worry about cars turning right across Mm -hmm. the bike lane on that project. And the Berkeley projects that are coming are going to be a lot better. Mm. So we'll really be able to see uh, intersection design that feels safer. Mm. Um, yeah, I think one of the uh, 
probably one of the larger frustrations for bikers is you have this new bicycling infrastructure, but then there's a huge gap. That Yeah, and that's been a focus of our work. What we're really working towards is what we think of as a low-stress network. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to go from the start to end of your journey on bike lanes or bikeways that really where you feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have an example of that mm-hmm. here. I no. mean, maybe if we, you go to Davis, that's a place where you could have that experience in the mm. U.S., but there's not experience. And yeah. that's what we're trying to bring to the East Bay. And Berkeley is the city that's the farthest along mm. in that regard. We already have, except for Davis and a, maybe Boulder, it has the highest rate of bike commuting in the country. Mm-hmm. We have the... Um, yeah. And this sort of gets at another part of your work is to make biking more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um because it's typically been associated um, with a certain culture, and maybe that's coming out of the critical mass, sort of more of um, confrontational biker who's willing to take risks, say, um, and that has maybe turned other people off from bike bicycling. Is there any other work you're doing in, in that way to make um, the bicycling more inclusive? Yeah. Um, there's a few, I mean, there's a number of different things we're mm-hmm. working on right now. I probably won't even get a chance to touch on all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one I will mention is uh, if you look at who's biking mm-hmm. in the East Bay or anywhere in the country, what you see is far more men than mm-hmm. women. And in Alameda County, it's a, for every two men, it's one woman. So mm-hmm. basically two thirds. Yeah. of riders are men. And um, that, I think, speaks a little bit to what you're saying. Maybe um, women are a little bit more hesitant to take risks to bike in a situation that feels um, that feels dangerous. Um, also, women, ha- it's studies show they have much more complicated trips. Mm-hmm. Women are often the ones taking kids to the places they need to go, they're a lot more. Er- they ha- they do a lot more errands just because. Still in this country, women do a bit more of the mm-hmm. um, the work of maintaining the home, and so that is another reason why it's hard to bike. Um, so one of the initiatives that we've started in the past year is a women bike um, kind of. Uh, program. It's we've got, we're doing rides, we've been doing a book club, we've been doing a whole bunch of different meet and greets, just getting women together to talk about what are the barriers to biking. We're doing some rides together, kind of increasing the comfort level with riding. And that's, it's just been a great organizing tool to bring more women into cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, another real factor for us is just looking at the geography of the East Bay. You know, we're here in Berkeley where the most people bike of anywhere in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, our office is in Oakland. Again, that's a place where we've got more people biking than other areas. Um, and our membership reflects that. Mm-hmm. If you look at who's a member of the of Bike East Bay, it's probably 85% is the Oakland-Berkeley metro area. Yeah. And so one of the key strategies came out of our strategic plan is – to really be lifting up some of the suburban communities and communities that are outside of the urban core. So Mm -hmm. we've been working on supporting local volunteer groups in one of the ones that's been super successful is in Concord. They're Bike Concord. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have a group, uh, Bike Walk Castro Valley. Um, 
there's just fantastic partners that we work with up in Richmond, Rich City Rides. And this has been, um, it's really focused on trying to get more geographic diversity in the East Bay, but it's also as we're supporting and lifting up local leaders in all of those communities, it's also been a way to get um, to get a more diverse set of people involved with bicycle advocacy and mm-hmm. um, more racial diversity, more income diversity. And that's a really key part of our work right now is, um, you know, identifying the leaders that are already out there for ourselves, you know, they, they're already, you know, mm-hmm. the community recognizes them already. I'm not saying we're like, yeah. you know, anointing them like leaders because, right, yeah. they're already doing amazing works in mm-hmm. the, in those communities. How can we amplify that? How can we support through mm-hmm. helping with, um, you know, training on advocacy on how to work with your city staff and elected officials on helping with fundraising and supporting those groups to raise money mm-hmm. in their community to, you know, Bike Concord, for instance, has um, they do a bike tent at the farmer's market because they're a community that doesn't have a bike shop. Mm-hmm. So they're out there doing repairs all volunteer run at the farmer's market on the weekend. And that's mm-hmm. been just an incredible community building um, project and has brought a lot of new people into into bicycle advocacy. Yeah, that's amazing. I'll bring this up just because it's um, it's been said, but I think it might be an overly reductionist argument, but that improving bicycle access um, often benefits developers or um, encourages gentrification or happens after gentrification has already taken root. And I wonder if you have thought about that. Yes, we have been thinking and talking a lot about this issue. It's a very real issue in the East Bay. Um, Actually, to use an example from Concord, we were working um, with our bike Concord group on uh, a bike lane project, uh, you know, in the community. And there had been, we had just had a great win on another street, bike lanes went in, and then um, there was a apartment building on that street where there was a big rent, rent hike, because they don't have rent control there. And, and the community was like, whoa, you know, let's pause on this other, the second project that we were working on, because it looks like maybe there's a connection here with um, with rent increases that are going to be displacing people. Mm-hmm. Our philosophy, especially with the local working groups, with these local groups is you are the lead. You know your community. Mm-hmm. And it really needs to be that two-way conversation. Mm-hmm. So, we're, so we're like, okay, let's pause. Mm-hmm. Um, let's really look at what else we need to do in the community. And so it may be, in that case, maybe actually the effort needs to be around a rent control mm-hmm. measure. This is the reality. The East Bay is gentrifying yeah. so fast. People are being displaced. Um, you know, we see it within our moving from maybe East Oakland out to Antioch. Um, the realities are people are, their transportation choices in those places like Antioch that they're moving to are really poor. Um, and this is really having, it's a huge, displacement is a transportation issue. Yeah. 
Um, one that's an interesting one right now is the bike share is coming yeah. to the East mm-hmm. Bay. Super exciting. So one of the things that we're working on is making sure that um, low-income communities in Berkeley and Oakland being engaged now because bike share is another is going to be another piece of gentrifying mm-hmm. the East Bay, and it also has the opportunity to be another great low-cost transit system within mm-hmm. the East Bay. So it has this great potential to benefit low-income communities, and it has this great potential to harm low-income communities. Mm-hmm. One question I have that's like just total digression, <laughs> but was um, your uh, advocacy for the the bike path across the Bay Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, some have argued that it's, you know, maybe not the best use of funding or resources. Um, why do you see it as an important project? Yeah. The Bay Bridge is one that we've been working on, like, for decades. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, it's a project very near and dear to uh, to all of us and to our longtime members. Mm. Um, just the vision of being able to bike all the way across the Bay. We've gotten access on most of them, or Mm-hmm. Access on Richmond San Rafael is actually coming in a year, which is very exciting. Oh, yeah. um, so we've almost got all the bridges now accessible. And just to speak to the funding piece, yeah. um, what's most important for us is that this is not funding that is being taken from some other project. Mm-hmm. So um, the plan for funding the the Bay Bridge is that it would be part of a toll increase mm-hmm. to add another dollar to the Bay Bridge toll. Mm-hmm. That would come to the ballot um, probably in 2018, mm-hmm. and the funds for the funds from that dollar generate. I now I don't remember off the top of my head. Let's say it's like 20 billion dollars or something like that, mm-hmm. or no, that's an, that's that, it's less than that. Okay, but it's in the billions. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The idea is it'll be about 300 million dollars. Mm-hmm. So we would say perhaps about 15 percent of that of that next regional regional toll measure. Mm-hmm. And um, those are funds that can only be used for the bridge, mm-hmm. um, only be spent within the our, you know, seven major bridges yeah. um, around the East Bay, so, I mean, around the Bay Area. Yeah. So it's not like that money from mm-hmm. the toll increase can be, can go to build, build City out some Canada. awesome protected raised bikeways in Berkeley, you mm-hmm. know. It does have to stay on the bridge yeah. um, or within the bridge district. So it's not competing for other funds. Yeah. I think that is that sort of the key point. And we actually feel like those that investment of when you look at how many people are going to use it, yeah. um, right now we're anticipating it would be over 10,000 people a day wow. using the bridge between tourists and commuters. And also there's going to be a lot of people just commuting between Treasure Island and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you look at it on a user basis, it's a pretty pretty low cost investment, um, yeah. and it's the only way to really add capacity on the bridge. Right. Aside from say putting a bus only lane, which we also think would be an awesome idea. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered this, but is there anything you'd like to add about where you would like to see Bike East Bay um, go in the future? Right now, um, the direction. Uh, you know, we're all um, living in a little bit of a new world since the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of the ways that, that we see that really impacting our work is 
that I think we have to be even more conscious of vulnerable communities, of those that are going to be really impacted under uh, Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does our work intersect with that? How are we even more careful that we're not, um, you know, that we're not causing displacement, that we're not... Um, any impacts around police enforcement are another one that we're looking at very closely right now mm. um, because, you know, the reality that we're in now is that there's a disproportionate effect of enforcement on people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a place where in our partnerships with police departments, we're going to be focusing on those impacts mm-hmm. um, and making sure that our work is not causing additional harmful impacts in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, how are we helping in that situation? I think under this new climate, we all have to come together. We can't be working in our bike silo. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been already talking a lot about displacement, but we need to be working more collaboratively and more proactively mm-hmm. um, around those issues. Otherwise, I would say, you know, how are we going to be relevant, yeah. you know, in this time? Mm-hmm. You know, really building all of those kinds of relationships are going to be key to our success mm. in the next few years. We have to be um, seeing what the community needs and supporting it, even if sometimes it is not directly a bike issue. Yeah. How can people get involved? Or Yeah. Um, I would point people to our website, bikeeastbay.org. You can go to slash campaigns just to get an overview of all the places we're working and the campaigns we're working on. You can go to slash education to take a free class. I want to mention for adults to learn to ride Mm. because not everyone knows how to ride a bike. And we have a great program that has has an incredible success rate like 90 plus percent of getting people from not being able to bike within three hours to being able to bike. And we would love to get people, we've got so many great campaigns going on around the East Bay. We'd love to get people involved. So check it out and also join as a member. We are a membership-based organization and that's how we get the money to do the work we do. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Thanks, for uh, Renee, for coming on. I really appreciated it. It was inspiring and educational, and I learned a whole lot. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Nick, for having me on.